All right, sweet. How are you guys doing today? You ready to get into the Word of God? You know, this is why we gather, uh, is to worship God and to get into His Word and to learn. And uh, we're going to get back into our series today that we've been going through uh, in John chapter 13 through 17. If you did not get a chance to get a Bible, uh, you will certainly want to get one. And if you're taking notes, uh, if you're not, you'll certainly want to. Um, We're going to look at a message entitled today, Connected, and we're going to now be in John 15. So we've kind of gone over uh, John 13 and 14 together, and today we're going to get into John 15. You know, there's a simple law that I have found that is both uh, in the spiritual realm of things and also uh, the physical realm of things, and I want you to write it down, and it's this, no connection means no production, all right? No connection means no production, and when I say no, I mean N-O, okay? No connection means no production. Connection leads to production. Without there being a connection, then there won't be any production. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, when there is no Wi-Fi connection, especially for all of y'all doing uh, about to start school online, uh, if there's no Wi-Fi, then there won't be any homework or school being done. Uh, if, the la- <laughs> if the lamp is not connected to the outlet, then there won't be any light, right? If the Xbox is not plugged in, then there won't be any video game playing. If the fridge, if the fridge is not connected, then the food will go bad. If the apple falls off the tree, guess what? That apple is done growing. Why? Because connection means production. Do you understand? And without connection, it means there is no production. And it's also, it's better to be connected to the right source. Have you guys ever plugged in like, uh, you know, your phone or laptop or something and you expected it? to be in an outlet that worked, and then you come back an hour later seeing it's not charged at all? It's like the worst. Uh, Meaning it's gotta be connected also to something that actually has power, right? And in the same way that without connection, there's no production, without Jesus in our lives and us being connected to him, then our lives will be fruitless. There won't be any production. And so today we're going to see how Jesus desires us to live fruitful lives that glorify him. And today we're going to find out that the key is connection. And that very phrase you're going to hear me say over and over again. The key is connection. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the key is connection. All right, now turn to your other neighbor and say, the key is connection. So we started that series, this series, a few weeks back. Remember, this is that time that the disciples are in that, the upper room with Jesus. It's the Last Supper, and they've been eating together. Uh, they've been talking together. And Jesus has been encouraging them. He has been preparing them because where is Jesus about to go? He's about to go to the cross first. He's got to go there first. And eventually, he's not going to be with them anymore like he was those three years And our last time together, we looked at how Jesus told the disciples that they would go on and do greater works. That was a couple weeks ago now. Uh, We've had a couple uh, things in between. Pastor Josh came a couple weeks ago, talked about worship. We had that Q&A last week. But we talked about how Jesus in John 14 says that you and I will go on to do greater works than even he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to look at the very last part of John chapter 14. The very last part, even the very last part of verse 31. Notice it says that Jesus says to his disciples, arise and let us go from here. Meaning that they have been in the upper room, they've finished dinner together, and now it's the same night, same setting, different location. That Jesus says, all right, disciples, uh, it's, it's time to get up, and we're going to head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, ultimately, the, the religious leaders with Judas will come and take him, but the time is not yet. We still have John 15, John 16, and John 17 for him, uh, Jesus, to pour into the disciples. And so imagine this in your mind, that they get up from the, the uh, sitting down around the table, and they get up, and now they head towards uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's at nighttime now, and Jesus is talking to them, no doubt, on the way and as they get to the Garden, all right? So the big question today is this. Are you connected 
to Jesus. Because you will know if you are or not. You will know. And if you're unsure, it probably means you're not connected. I mean, you might be saved. I'm not questioning salvation here. I'm talking about connection. I'm talking about relationship, all right? So the goal today is that you will leave this room being connected to Jesus. Let's read our text today. John 15, verses one through eight. Are you guys there? Yes? I mean, I wanna hear from you today. Are you guys John 15? All right, look at verse one with me. Jesus goes on as they go from the upper room And as they leave, Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for your word. We are grateful to you that you want to speak to us today. That as we look at the Bible, it's not just for us to gain knowledge, but it's for us to go out and do it. And so today, Lord, would you give any parts of our lives that might be lazy or apathetic without care, Lord, that you would truly spark a fire in our lives today that we might follow you deeper, that we might follow you closer. And so, Lord, we open our lives up to you, wanting you to work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said? And we all said? Amen. Amen. I want to hear that from you guys. Love it. All right, so as we read our text, I want you to notice four components, all right? And, and four components that we see in the text, meaning uh, if you don't know what a component is, it's a part, okay? There are four parts to what Jesus's illustration is to the disciples. Now, Jesus uses this illustration of a grapevine, all right? And he uses it to bring a greater understanding. Uh, This is not uh, exactly a parable, but it's an illustration that Jesus is using. This is a tactic that Jesus would also uh, often use to be able to really help the disciples understand, right? And it's important that as we come to illustrations that Jesus uses or parables, that we know that there's always one main point, And today's main point is what I already shared with you, and it's the fact that we are to be connected to Jesus. That is the main point of the entire eight verses. Now, we're going to unpack that and let God speak to our hearts, but there are some other truths and applications that God might want to speak to us, but we must not take some of his illustrations and create whole uh, truths and doctrines off of. We kind of just take what the main point is and, and learn from it, all right? So the four components that we see here today, the four main ones, is number one, uh, the vine. And obviously it's it's up there already, the true vine. And we know this is represented as Jesus. That's why he says in verse one, notice, pretty simple, it's it's the seventh and final I am statement of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. Now, when it says vine, it specifically is referring to a grapevine, hence the picture of the background of the PowerPoint, right? It's specifically not referring to a plum or a grapefruit or things like that, branches. It's referring to a grapevine and grape branches, all right? And notice Jesus says, I'm the true vine. The word true there, it means the sincere or real or genuine vine, there's an implication of there that there are false vines, that there are false things that we can connect our lives to that won't bear the fruit that God wants us to have. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, 
often, often, often in the Old Testament, Israel is considered to be God's vineyard and specifically his, his vine. And what Jesus is saying here is saying, God is going to no longer work through how he has in the past through Israel, not that they're done away with, but God will continue working in them. But there's a new way, and it's through the way of Jesus, that he is the true vine. And so we see here that Jesus is the vine. Okay, that's number one. Number two, uh, if you notice in verse one, it says also, he says, my father is the vine dresser. This is God the father. And you're like, what the heck is a vine dresser? Why are they dressing up plants? It's really weird. Uh, no, it's not like they're putting clothes on plants, okay? A vine dresser, you can think of it as he is the caretaker, the farmer, the gardener who takes care of the vines so that they are able to produce the fruit that is needed, all right? So he's the caretaker of the vineyard. That's what a vine dresser means, all right? Make sense? Number three, the third component or part that we see here is branches. And the branches rep represent you and me as believers in Jesus, followers and disciples of Christ. And it's that part that's directly connected to the grape, right? Have you guys ever eaten grapes before? So if you've ever eaten grapes, I want you to get that picture in your mind, right? There's the fruit, that's the actual grape. And then you know those little like branches that sometimes get like you forget to take it off and it gets in your mouth. You guys ever experienced that? And you're like chewing, you're like, grapes shouldn't taste like this. So you take out the branch, right? And then there's like the vine. Uh, and, then, and then those even could cons be considered branches as well. But if you've ever seen a grapevine, and then there's one main vine that goes through. It's kind of, um, I wish I had a different picture to show you guys, but hopefully you can understand, right? There's, there's the main vine that that's eventually goes into right, the ground to be able to get nutrients and all it needs. And then there's those little branches. Well, you and I, uh, we are those little branches. We are the middle point to which the fruit comes and to where the power comes from or the, the energy, all right? And so there's three main components. It's the vine, it's the vine dresser, and the branches. And these all, these three, they all work together to produce something, and that's fruit. And that's the fourth and final component that I want you to write down. If you remove one of these, if you remove the vine, if you remove the branch, if you remove the caretaker of the vine, then you don't get fruit. These are all three vitally important to one another. And the fourth thing represents good works in our life. Or, and, it's, and it's broader than that. It's not just like, oh, well, I, I did something good, and so that's, that equals the fruit. No, it's, it's bigger. It's good things that come from our life as a result of directly of God's working in our lives. They might start internally, meaning God's working kindness and love, and then they're displayed outwardly when we let brother or sister take the last slice of pizza, okay? That would be, that would be maybe a fruit that God's producing in your life, among many others. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, I believe I have it up there. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's exactly what we're talking about here, the fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Meaning, how do you know if you're connected with Jesus? These things will be outflowing from your life. Perfectly? Definitely not. But is there evidence? This would be the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that outworks itself, though. Uh, this starts inwardly. God produces a capacity to love others, but then that's displayed outwardly, maybe by sharing the gospel, by praying for someone, by helping someone, by forgiving someone, by trying to win others to Christ as we grow in holiness and obedience or as we praise God, that there's these outward displays of what God's working on the inside, the fruit of the spirit. Now it's important to realize that branches don't eat fruit. Do you guys know that? Meaning all these things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, God doesn't give you those just for you to keep for yourself. That when we're talking about fruit, it's not just, have you ever seen a branch eat fruit? It'd be really weird. Imagine you buy grapes and then you go to get them the next day, but the branches ate all of them. 
You're like, what, wait, what's going on? Like, where's my grade? It doesn't. And so think about the fruit as in results of, of interaction with other people, all right? Um, and so those are the four components. Got it? Make sense? Okay, so now I want you to keep those in mind as we go through the study to get today. So the first thing I want to point out to you is the vine dresser's concern. You can write it down. So those are the four components, but I want to show you the vine dresser's concern. And we found this in verses one through three. <coughs> it talks about what the vine dresser does. And so what is the vine dresser's job? Well, I told you it was to make sure that the vineyard, that the fruit is producing. That's his number one job. That is what he does. But we see in verse two that he does this in two different ways. There's two tasks of the vine dresser that I want to point out to you. And I want you to note down because it's important for our learning and so, so applicable to us. Verse two he says, every branch in me, right, the vine, this is Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, God, takes away or lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so I want to break this down for you. Number one, one of the how, uh, the, the first thing of how the, the vine dresser takes care of the fruit to make sure it produces, is that it lifts up the unfruitful branch. <clears throat> Sorry, I got something in my throat right now. So if you look at verse two, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So there's a branch that's struggling, not producing the fruit in life that it's supposed to. Now in your version, it might say that he lifts or that he takes away, but also might experience that he lifts up. Okay, so it's an unfortunate translation in the New King James Version that it says that it takes it away because in your mind, you might think, oh, well, then God just gets rid of that. That person's not producing what it needs to. Okay, then the vine dresser just rips it off. But remember, he's the caretaker. He's not, he, he doesn't do that kind of thing. Uh, he does it to an extent, but for right here, it's talking about that he lifts up the unfruitful branch. You see, uh, I got the experience this week to study a lot about vineyards and how grapes grow. Um, and you're like, why did you do that? Because this is, Jesus is using this illustration. And so these things are applicable to us. You see, back, back then, it was normal to have vineyards everywhere and, and they would kind of know what Jesus is talking about. For you and I, we just were kind of like, oh yeah, I don't know. I just we just buy the grapes at Ralph's and then we come home and then we eat them. So, um, or, or Walmart or whatever. Well, you see, this actually shows us the great care that God has for his people. You see, it was a common thing as grapes would grow on the vine that over time uh, that the, grape, the, the vines would be, uh, begin to go on the ground and begin to kind of droop. They would maybe uh, hit like a large rock or something, and, and they'd begin to go on the ground um, where they're kind of not exposed to sunlight anymore. And so what, one of the tasks of the vine dresser, would he would come and he would lift up the branch so that it had better exposure to the sun. And one of the only ways that grapes can grow is if they hang. That's why if you've ever seen a vineyard, that on, there's usually posts that the, the vines hang on. Because if they're not hanging, if they're just on the, it's not like a pumpkin. You know, when you go to a pumpkin patch and there's like pumpkins on the ground everywhere, grapes can't grow like that. And so when, when, a, when a vine is beginning to droop and maybe not producing the fruit that it needs to, the vine dresser would lift it up. And you see, in a similar way, this is what God does with you and I. That if we're not producing the, 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 the fruit that he desires us in our life, then rather than just cutting them off, he doesn't do that. God never gives up on us. He's determined to complete that work that he's started in us. That when we feel down and fruitless, have you guys ever felt like, man, I feel like I'm, my life isn't producing the things that I want it to. Maybe you've, you've tried to do something before and it's just, it's just not happening. Well, God is good and he comes into our life and he's able to lift us up, to encourage us, to, to get us in the spot that he wants us to be, to remind us that we have purpose, that, that we have things that he wants us to do, to be fruitful. The second thing I want you to note down 
that he says that for the fruitful branch, that he prunes the fruitful branch. Like, what do you mean he prunes it? Well, to prune, it means this. It means to cultivate, to tend, and to cut back the growth of a plant in order for it to grow healthier and produce more fruit. You see, this word specifically has to do with the removal of anything that would hinder the growth. And this includes a wide variety of things. You see, as I got to study how how grapes grow, I didn't just learn how they can't grow on the ground. They have to be lifted up. They have to be in the right kind of sunlight. But also, guys, being a vine dresser is, is no easy job. It took a lot of effort and attention uh, see, now we, it, it, I'm sure it's a lot easier because we have uh, insecticides. You know what that is? So you spray it, it's probably like most of the food that we eat has probably too much insecticides. Basically, they spray the crop, they, they spray whatever it is, so that bugs don't come and eat it, right? But back then, they didn't really have that kind of technology developed. And so this was the vine dresser's job, that he would have to come and actually wipe off by hand and kind of spray down with water or maybe some sort of sponge of sorts to kind of make sure that there were no bugs on it eating and ruining the fruit. It was like a, it was a tedious and repetitious job. Um, one of the other things that would happen in Israel that was common in Israel, it's very dusty. A lot of it is desert. And if dust, if too thick of a layer of dust would settle, settle on the fruit, that it wouldn't be able to produce the way that it should. And so he'd, he'd have, the mind dresser would have to wipe that off. Um, the other thing that this would include is, is literally cutting back dead branches, so ones that, that, that were withering and decaying, um, to be able, so that other branches would be able to come and produce more fruit and so on and so forth, even to the point of there were even healthy things, healthy branches that pr- were producing fruit, but, but the vine dresser knew these branches could do even better. And so sometimes he'd have to cut those back. And so you might think, well, okay, what, Joel, what are you talking about? Fruit hanging on the ground, cutting back, bugs. You see, it's an illustration. Jesus is, is showing how God works in our life. Because what's the point? If you look in verse two, it says that, that the f- branch might produce more fruit. It doesn't just mean qu- a quality or a quantity as in a lot, but also the kind of fruit, that it's good, better and more fruit. You see, God is in the business of fruit production. He does this through the process of cleaning up our lives, refining us to make us the best that we can be. God sometimes even has to come into our lives and take away things that we might even consider good, but he knows there's something better that can come in his place. That, that the world that you and I live on, there are things that want to attach itself to our life. Dirt from the world. Things that, and, and that the enemy even has a capacity to do, to come into our lives and, and cling to our lives so that we might remain fruitless. You see, but God comes into our lives and he's able to clean us because he wants us to live fruitful lives. If you look at verse three, he literally says this to the disciples. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Meaning that the disciples were in the middle of the process of being cleaned in their life, of already being pruned. And how was this happening? How was God being able to make sure that that their lives were in the best possible shape to be able to live a life for him? Well, it was by the words that Jesus spoke to them. Look at verse three in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles. He says, it's the words that I have spoken to you that makes you clean. That word clean and prune, it's the same kind of word. And you see, God's number one way of pruning us in our lives is by the word of God. It is as we read the word that God is able to point out things of, hey, you need to get rid of this, or this needs to, to go, or this needs to be added. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that it is the water of the word that washes us. Are you familiar that this is considered a, right, a two-edged sword? Have you ever thought about why? The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that it is a uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's able to cut into our lives and to cut things out to put things in. You see, remember, pruning at times was literally cutting. 
It's cutting off branches so that that fruit might be able to be produced. And sometimes God's hand in our life can hurt. Sometimes it can be, I don't want to depart with that, or I don't want to get rid of that. But through his word, by his spirit, and even through things that God allows us to go through, he's using it all to prune us, to to clean us. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. How How can our lives be cleansed? It's ultimately by God's word. Meaning if we're not taking God's word, not just at church, but personally, then God's not going to be able to do the work that he so wants to do in our lives. And he's good at it. He is good at this in our lives. And, and God always does his part. Meaning God's always wanting to be in our lives to, to shape us and mold us and to, to take things out, to, to clean us up by his word, by his spirit. And he's always displaying that concern. But you and I, remember, we're the branches. And so we have a part to play as well. And so we see the vine dresser's concern, but secondly, what you can note down, uh, it is the branches' connection. That we also see the branches' connection. We see this in verses four through six. You see, God does his part. God works in our lives. But there is the but there is a responsibility on our part, and that is connection. I want you to say again to your neighbor, the key is connection. But say it with a little more enthusiasm. There you go. Very good. The key is connection. That's what Jesus says. He says, look, my father is going to do his work in your life. He's going to lift you up. He's going to clean you up. He's going to prune your lives as you dive into the word. As things happen, he's going to do that. But you just got to make sure you're connected to him. Look at verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. You see that word abide? It means to remain. It means to continue, to dwell. It means to remain joined. It's to be connected. It's to be connected. And he says, abide in me, meaning stay connected to me. It's that which is attached. It's a, when, when he says to abide in him, it's the idea of a constant connection. Because guess what? If you were to go to the store and you were to buy grapes and you take off the grapes from the vine and then you put the the case full of just the vines now, the fruit's all gone, and put it back in the fridge, you know there's going to be no more fruit that grows on that, right? It's not like it refills itself of like, well, that'd be pretty cool, right? You go back in the fridge, you're like, oh, I ate these grapes yesterday. Oh, yeah, look, there's new ones. They grew again. Why, Why don't they grow? Yeah. Yeah, it's disconnected from the main vine, right? They were cut off so that you could buy them and eat them. But they were disconnected. It's not going to grow anymore. And so what Jesus says here, he says, abide in me. And notice he says, and then I in you. You can take this both, both as a command and a promise. I mean, the, the command is stay connected to Jesus. But the promise is that Jesus says, and if you stay connected to me, I'll stay connected to you. It's the promise that we find in James chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a verse you guys need to remember and need to memorize. That if you want to get close with God, God says, I will meet you there. God says, I've initiated my relationship with you and I've given my invitation to you. And if you just say, I want to be connected to you, God says, I will come. I will always answer that call. When you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. When you say, I want to abide in you, Jesus, I want to stay connected to you, Jesus says, I'll I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you there, even more than halfway. But how does this look? What does it mean to be connected to Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it is to live a life Conscious, conscious, man, yeah, conscious and aware of the presence of God. It is to live a life aware of God's presence in your life. You want to write that down, okay? To be connected is to live a life aware of God's presence. And no, not presence like Christmas, presence as in he's with you. 
It's, it's living moment by moment, knowing and aware of God in your life. And now this might look in a multiple of ways. And yes, of course, praying is one of them. This of course happens by praying, but it's more than just those prayers at dinner. Hopefully you pray before you eat. It's a good tradition, a good custom for us to follow, to be thankful to God. Hopefully you, you pray before you go to bed at night. Those are good things. But you see, but to be connected to Jesus is so much more than, well, I prayed before dinner or I, I prayed before I went to bed. To be connected to Jesus is to do what Paul says is to pray without ceasing. You guys ever heard that command in the Bible that you're to pray without ceasing? So what does that mean? Does it mean you just go home, lock yourself in the room, and then you're like, I'm just going to pray without ceasing, meaning without stopping. And mom's like, all right, it's time for school. You're like, I'm praying. And he's like, okay, it's time for dinner. You're like, I'm praying. I can't go. No, it's as you go to school, it's as you go to dinner, that there is this constant connection between you and Jesus. Do you guys know what AirPods are? Those things are pretty sweet, right? Uh, I don't have any. I have some knockoff ones because I cannot afford those. Um, but maybe, maybe you have some or maybe your parents do or maybe you know what they are. And uh, you know you can like make phone calls. You know, you see people walking around, they're like talking to themselves and you're like, what's wrong with them? And then you see that little white thing in their ear. Okay, this is a super cheesy illustration, but it seriously helps me understand. It's the idea of, of having those AirPods, spiritual AirPods in your ear always connected to Jesus where there's this constant connection that it doesn't matter what you're doing, where you're going, who you're with, who you're not with, that there's just this constant communication of whether it's simple, simple things like you're, you, know, you were walking from your car to church to be able to be up here, and because you have that spiritual AirPod in, you're able just to say, thank you, Lord. Thank, thanks that I get to go to church today, Lord. And it's as simple as that. But it's also being willing to, in that moment, maybe that you come into, say, the junior high room and you see someone sitting alone, God might be speaking to you and he might say back through the airport, hey, hey, go and say hi to that person. And you're like, oh, that, that must be something else. That must be the devil because he would never. And we try to convince ourselves, yet it's God speaking to you. And it's to be connected. Does that make sense? And it's also through his word, truly seeking him in his word that he's, he's given us, not just reading it for knowledge, but thinking through it and, and wanting, God, I want, you to, I want you to speak to me. So it's praying, it's being in the word, but it's also obedience. You see, because if you're connected to Jesus, it's in those moments when you're impatient with someone. You guys ever get impatient with someone? You guys ever get angry at someone? It's in those moments because you're connected and you're abiding with Christ that you, that you calm down, that you don't, you don't act on that impatience or that anger. It's in the moment of lust that you look the other way. It's in the moment of not caring about something or someone that you care anyway. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus. And Jesus does that in us. First John 3.24 says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so it's, it's, it's praying, it's being in the word and it's obeying him. Even when you don't want to, that's being connected with Jesus. And these are simple everyday choices, but it is a choice. I mean, you don't, did you know that you don't wake up abiding in Jesus? Okay, you might, in the sense that if the first thing you think about is, Jesus, I want to be connected to you today. I want to abide in you. But sometimes, maybe the first thing is, I got to go to the bathroom. Or, oh my gosh, my day is going to be super stressful. Or, oh, I wonder what's for breakfast. I wonder what we're going to do today. Guys, commit to making the first thing that you think about in the morning, Jesus. And say those simple prayers of, of Jesus before you, your feet even touch the ground. You say, Jesus, I just want to be connected to you today. I just want to be with you. I want my decisions to be glorifying to you. Lord, I need, I need to be connected to you. I don't want to be away from you. Oh man, your day is going to look way, way different. Simply put, I want you to write this down. It's to do life with Jesus. It's not just come on church on Sunday. It's not just, you know, 
go to church camp occasionally. It's, it is to do life with him, meaning anywhere you go, everywhere you go, and whoever you're with. It's awesome. There's nothing better than being connected with Jesus. But guess what? There's a whole lot of things in life that want to disconnect us from him. There's a whole lot of things that are very distracting that want to make us not to think about him. And that's the enemy's entire goal in our life. But as a result of this connection, you will begin to have a fruitful life for Jesus. He will do the work in you. He will do the heavy lifting. Meaning notice the branch's job isn't to do a bunch of good stuff so that fruit can come from its life. No, it's simply, what, is, what does a branch do? What's the purpose of it? It's to just be connected to the vine. It's, I mean, think about a branch of a, of, a, of a vine. Maybe a branch of a different tree you could do things with. But the little branch of a vine, that wouldn't make a very good table, right? You're like, you know what wood I'm going to use? I'm going to use vine wood. It'd be like, oh my gosh, that's, gonna be a, that's not going to work. You're going to have to get a whole bunch and it's not going to be very strong. You know, if you're going to the beach and you're like, oh, I need some firewood. Hey, I know we had some leftover grapevines. We should use those. They don't, it's not going to work very well. You're going to have like a two-second fire and then it burns out. You see, the only thing a branch is good for is to produce fruit. And this is just by being connected to Jesus. But then I want to show you a quote. Ray Stedman, he says this about this passage. He says, when, we, when our Lord says, abide in me, he is talking about the will, about the choices, about the decisions we make. We must decide to do things which expose ourselves to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. I like that, to keep ourselves in contact with him. This is what it means to abide in him. We've been placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now we must choose to maintain that relationship by the decisions we make, decisions to expose ourselves to his word in order to learn about him, to relate to him in prayer, wherein we converse with him. You see, if you know me, if you know me long enough, and when students come back that I haven't seen for a while, then you know, sometimes as departing words, I'll usually say something like, stay close to Jesus. And this is exactly what I mean. Stay close to Jesus. Because when you're connected to him, man, it doesn't mean life's perfect, but that you are living your life that you're supposed to live. You are fulfilling your purpose when you're connected to Jesus. Because without him, you can't do anything. And he says that. I want you to look at verse 5. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. Guess what nothing means? It means nothing. It means nothing of worth, nothing lasting. Now you might think, okay, yeah, I mean, believe, because non-believers can do good things, right? They can. They can give to charity. They can go help a, a homeless person. They can go do things. But that's why bearing fruit, godly fruit, isn't just doing good things. It is doing good things for the right reason, and for the gospel. You see, and anything of worth, anything of lasting effect has to be in Jesus. So without him, you can't do anything. If you guys could learn this now, your, your life uh, is gonna be much better. Uh, and I don't mean easier, I mean better, more fulfilling, more satisfying. You will have contentment. But it's when so often, because we're, prideful people and there's still sin in us that we think, nah, I can do it on my own. I can figure this out. You can't, okay? You can't do it. But yet in Jesus, there's, you're an unstoppable force. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And even this very passage in Philippians talks about that the strength that he's talking about is contentment. That the strength that Paul's talking about here in Philippians 4.13 isn't, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ, so I'm going to jump off a roof and I can fly because I can do all things, Philippians 4.13. No, no. It is the idea that Paul literally, the context is that I can be content, meaning I, don't have, I won't have the desire to just be so wanting and of everything, never being fulfilled. See, in Jesus comes fulfillment. fulfillment. A fruitful life is a fulfilling life. And you won't find it anywhere else. And some of you, uh, no doubt in my mind, a room this large, you will go, and I've done it myself, you'll go and try to find a fulfilling life disconnected from Jesus. 
and it, and it simply won't happen. You will find yourself discontented and just wanting to be back with him. But something to note, uh, one more interesting kind of thing that I learned about uh, vines being grown uh, is that sometimes um, for a vine to produce good fruit, it takes three years. Meaning sometimes if, if a, a vine dresser has a large vineyard and different vines, that there's sometimes where a newer vine, that it won't produce the proper fruit for three years. Like, so, so what does that mean? Meaning that he goes and he takes care of it, cuts out the peat, and even it might grow some fruit, but it's not the best fruit. So he cuts it back so that it might grow more fruit. Meaning, you see, God's work in us sometimes starts internally before it really begins to show externally. And so the Bible tells us, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Meaning you might find yourself at times in your Christian, no, you will. As you guys continue to follow Jesus, there's going to be times where it feels like, man, it feels like my life's for nothing or nothing's, nothing's being, there's no fruit that God's doing in my life. And I feel like you just might feel dry. You might feel like nothing's happening. But if you're connected to Jesus, don't grow weary in those good doings because you will reap if we do not lose heart. And so, but there is a warning. Look at verse six in your Bibles. There's a warning for us. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Wow, some pretty intense words from Jesus. What do you say? He says, if, if there is a fruitless branch then those branches are cut off, taken, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, at first glance, verse six can seem like, oh man, like if I don't, if there's not fruit coming out of my life, then, then, then I'm going to get cut off and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be away from God. You see, but the Bible teaches something entirely different. The Bible teaches that if you are in Christ and you're truly his, his son or his daughter, you will always be his son or his daughter. He will not do away with you. Now, what I believe that this is talking about here uh, is not a, a loss of salvation where you're just kind of thrown away and God's like, ah, you're not doing what I need. I, you're, I'm, I'm done with you out of heaven. You see, God doesn't work like that. He doesn't. That God is faithful to us. However, I believe this is talking about not a loss of salvation, but a loss of rewards as a result of not being connected to Jesus. You see, I want you to note a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. You see, it is not God's nature to do away with the things that he has redeemed. Now, he will judge. There will be people that God sends uh, to hell for their rejection of him. However, when you are his, when you are connected to him, a, a branch in him, that, that you are forever is. However, there are some people that live Christian lives, but they don't have much to show for it. And that's what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 3. Notice he says this, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed, notice, by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet through fire. You see, what Paul is talking about here is a believer who lives a life, but lives a life disconnected from Jesus, so that there might be things in his life but nothing that makes it. You see, for you and I, as we pursue Jesus and are connected to him and God works in our life and then works through our lives, we're gonna to get to that day that we're before Christ and our life will go through a fire and a lot of works will be burned up. Things we did for a wrong motive, um, you know, things we did with a sinful heart, 
but then there's going to be some things that pass through that we did, that God did in us, and then we'll be rewarded. Well, the Bible says that some people will get to heaven and have no rewards. They'll have nothing to show for it. Yes, they're a Christian. Yes, they're his. But they lived a life, a fruitless life. They, live a, they lived a life, though in Christ, they weren't connected to him. And so there's a warning for the disciples that apart from him, you can do nothing. That anything of lasting worth will be as you are connected in Jesus. And so as we come to the last point, verse seven and eight, we see the fruitful conclusion. And he, and he begins to talk about the, for the person who is connected to Jesus. What's the result of that? What's the conclusion? Well, notice he, he, in verse seven, you can look in your Bibles. You guys good? Yeah, you guys tracking? Look in verse seven in your Bibles. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's that connection. If there's this connection and we're connected to God's words, he says this, and you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's amazing. That's awesome. Now we talked about this before, uh, just a couple weeks ago when we were in John 14, when prayer was brought up. This doesn't mean God is our genie, right? God is not, it's not that, that, at this time, Jesus handed a magic lamp to the disciple and said, just rub it and, uh, and I will come out and then I'll grant you any wish you want. You see, but notice the precursor, meaning what has to come before. He says, if you're connected to me, then you will ask things and I will do them. C.H. Spurgeon says this. He says, prayer comes spontaneously from those who abide in Jesus. Prayer is a natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Meaning when you're connected with him, you're not going to want to use God as a, as a wishing machine or a wishing well or a magic lamp. That you will be, as you pursue him and live a life connected to him, your desires will become his desires. Because notice the promise. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you abide in me, I in you. Meaning Jesus is in us, changing us, making our desires, not just because I, you know, oh God, I'd love a Lamborghini. And that, those, those prayers will begin to mature. And instead of just praying, oh, oh God, I want a lot of money one day, we'll pray things like, God, my, my dad is lost and I want you to save him. And we'll begin to pray prayers in line with what God wants for our lives. We'll begin to pray prayers like, God, get rid of this sin in my life. I confess it before you, and I know it's had a stronghold in my life, but I'm sick of doing it. I'm sick of struggling. God, would you do this in me? And God answers the prayer of a believer who is connected with him. The other thing is that this will show how we're his disciple. Look at verse 8. It says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You see, to be a true follower of Jesus, you have to follow him. You have to be connected to him. You have to know him. That you are, if you are one of his disciples, a follower, then you have to be connected with him. John 8, 31 says, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You see, if we are connected to him, then we're going to be able to follow what he says. And then finally, it's that we will live a life that's glorifying to God. Glorifying to God. Did you guys know that you were created for one purpose, and that's to live a life that pleases God, that gives God glory? Do you know what it means to give God glory? It means that he is honored by the actions and words and 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 your life. And he's honored by that. It's an amazing thing. Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Hopefully you're, you're familiar with the, the verse, but it says this. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. You see, the awesome thing about this is because we know that we can do nothing without Christ, then when our life starts to produce fruit, and when that happens, people might come up to you and they might say, oh man, you know, guys, I saw God use you or, or this happened or this was a blessing to me. Then you won't take the credit for yourself. You'll be like, oh, I know that was only because I was connected to God. I only know because God did that 
in and through me. You see, the ultimate purpose and reason that you and I were made is to live a life that is pleasing to God. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're connected with him. And so, guys, Christianity is not something to just do. It is a lifestyle. It is to do life with Jesus. And so, as we close, uh, Jesus so brilliantly laid out the Father's care and concern in our lives. And he really wants us to be fruitful. And so he's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. And he even allows us to go through difficult things all for the purpose of placing us in a position to live a life that is fruitful. But our response and our responsibility is not to try harder. Do you guys know that? Like there might be an area in your life that you know is lacking or you know that that God's been speaking to you about. You see, what the Bible says doesn't say, it doesn't say you just got to try harder in the area. You know how it's been hard for you to forgive your mom or forgive your little brother or, or you've been struggling with anger or you've been struggling with lust or whatever it might be. It's not like, okay, tomorrow I'm just going to try harder. You will fail because apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. Sometimes we only focus on the sin, but we forget to focus on the Savior. You see, as you're connected with him, God will begin to come into your life and clean those areas and work in your life. And so through him, we can do all things. And through doing life with Jesus and him producing this fruit in our lives, we're going to live a life that's pleasing to him. And so remember, the key is connection, right? All right, let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that that you just for your care, that you care about the smallest details in our lives. And we pray that we just invite you to, to continue uh, your, your work, Lord, that you would cut out things that would hinder our lives, that you would, Lord, even remove things that might be good, but you know there are other things that can be better. Lord, we give you full access, full permission. Lord, we need that. And we want to be connected with you today. Lord, we don't just want you to be a side thing. Lord, we want you to be everything. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would just be connected to you. As we walk to our cars after church or go and try to find our parents and mom and dad is talking forever. And we're just so tired of holding our Bibles. It's getting so heavy. So we just try to give it to mom. Lord, just as we do everything, we would do it with you that you'd give us patience today. Lord, as we go home and we might hang out in the pool or might have dinner tonight. Lord, just everything we do would just be with you. We would thank you. We would acknowledge you. And Lord, through that, that you would just do your work in our lives. And so we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen.